we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, or ARPDC. We look forward to another great conversation with an outstanding educator today, Stephanie Doddick. More on Stephanie in just a minute. As always, we welcome your suggestions for guests to our podcast. You can email us at rick.gilson at arpdc.ab.ca. I'm Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office of ARPDC. And my co-host in this series is Charlie Craig of, of both the Central and Northeastern Regional Offices of ARPDC. Charlie, over to you. Good morning, everyone. Well, it's morning now. It might not be morning when you listen to it. These are the problems of identifying the recording time. Uh, no matter where we are gathered and listening today, um, whether it is somewhere in Alberta or really anywhere on the globe, uh, the land that we live in and learn on and enjoy is um, significant and it is home to First Nations uh, Métis and, and potentially Inuit populations, depending on where you're listening from. And as we continue to build understanding about the significance of the land for Indigenous peoples, taking a moment and asking yourselves, what are the privileges of this season? Or um, what is it that I can learn today by taking a moment while enjoying the land? Um, are great little baby steps that you can take um, as we build our understanding in um, looking at the land as kin and understanding that we too need to be stewards of the land just as historically and currently um, First Nations peoples are. Today is we're going to focus a little bit on language acquisition. I, I find myself as I reflect on land and acknowledgements and, and the heritage of the land, that there are a great many languages that were well in use on this continent for centuries and centuries before us. And uh, it might be wise for us to seek ways to honor that. And so, uh, as I'm currently coming to you from Treaty 7 land, the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy, I might start, start out with Oki. So good morning and, and welcome to everybody. Today, we are excited to have a conversation with Stephanie Doddick. I had an opportunity to sit down with Stephanie and get to know her quite a bit better uh, up in Edmonton and learn of the great work that she has done in, most recently, rebuilding ARPDC's English as an Additional Language resource online. And, and we will most definitely talk about that. And there'll be links to that in our notes. Uh, in the blog post that accompanies this podcast. Stephanie is a language consultant with over 15 years experience in teaching and resource roles. After completing a Bachelor of Education degree in secondary mathematics and a Bachelor of Arts degree in German literature, a wild background here, Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie later went on to finish a Master of Education specializing in teaching English as an additional language. In her work, Stephanie continually reflects on her journey of identity of identity development and language learning while growing up as a second generation Canadian and how it relates to students who are now adding English and Canada to their linguistic and cultural repertoires. She's passionate, incredibly passionate about the empowering impact language and story have on building community. 
her practice focuses on embracing the rich stories students bring with them as they add English to their learning journey and empowering ed educational professionals to hear them. We are in for a treat. I, I believe we're going to see and feel how uh, Stephanie and Naval Korani and some of our other guests, uh, their work meshes. And uh, it's just, I'm just excited for this uh, hour and a bit that we'll spend together. Stephanie, I don't usually get to ask the first question uh, today. It is my turn. So I'm kind of excited. Um, as our listeners know, we, we're all about sharing book titles and things that we're reading. So what are you currently reading professionally, personally? Uh, and we start out from there. Oh, well, thank you very much, Rick. Thank you, Charlie, for um, for welcoming me here today. It's been it's quite an honor uh, for me to share my passion. And uh, but yeah, right now, interestingly enough, thanks to Tannis Nizal <laughs> uh, and a great book recommendation that I'm reading right now is Rebecca Kwong's Babel. Uh, it is uh, I'm I'm only about a, a third of the way through. Uh, but it it deals with you know how when you want to read that you try to connect what you know and uh, and your story to it and and all these things and it's about um, it's about translation and translating and there's hints of colonialism in it because uh, it's set in the early 1800s uh, in Oxford and. Uh, and when I'm reading it, I, I get kind of senses of a little bit of Harry Potter in there, some themes of Harry Potter, some themes of Lord of the Rings, some themes of Jonathan Swift's Modest Proposal, if you've ever read that, uh, where he was an Irish nationalist. And uh, yeah, he, he was a very uh, satirist and and uh, also very well known for Gulliver's Travels. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, a great read right now so I'm, I'm very much enjoying that so and yeah turning to tennis as a resource that's always a great thing to do if you're, if you're looking for something to read just ask Tannis. so tennis also suggested that book to me at our our conference and of course mm -hmm. I I never pass up the opportunity to add to my book collection and so um I don't savor books, I inhale them. Mm -hmm. And so I read, I've read Babel um, since we met in Edmonton and I quite enjoyed it. And I liked um, her newest book as well. Yellow Face is so good. Oh, yeah. But what I loved about Babel is it talks about like the, the morphological history and structure. And then it's about kind of looking for those connections or similarities between languages Mm -hmm. which I mean, I got excited reading it because it had morphology in it. You must get excited reading it because it's got that translingual yeah. element to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I was just the other day, I was reading a little piece and uh, they were talking about the word typhoon and um, actually like the Greek etymological etymology of it. And, and then the, the main character, Robin, he's, making connections to what it's in Chinese and, and Cantonese and uh, what it's called and, you know, just how language travels. And now that we've become such a global place, you know, thanks to the internet, thanks to globalization and everything, you know, language is just 
you don't drink just a cup of coffee anymore. Now you drink a cappuccino or a, and, and then, and then, you know, now I don't think Italians ever thought of having a frappuccino before, but you know, like thanks to Starbucks, they, they created <laughs> a new, a new word. And so, you know, just how language is just constantly adding to it, shifting and, um, and just changing. And that just reminds me of a story. I was, I had the, the great, pleasure of working in Germany for a year as a foreign language assistant at a high school, well, a gymnasium, what they call it in Germany for that, that stream of school. And um, there was a, a teacher working there. He was the English teacher. And uh, he had been living in Hamburg for probably about 25 years ago, or 25 years or so. He was, this was the early 90s. So, and he came across this Times article and uh, the cover of it said something about nerds and geeks. And he goes, Stephanie, like, what's a nerd? <laughs> because, that, you know, that that word, you know, when you're out of that English vernacular and that, um, you know, and you don't experience it, then, you know, language constantly is changing. So it's it's fascinating to me. Do you have any professional reads on the go? On the go, I do have, um, uh, right now it's called Building Literacy with English Language Learners, Insights from Linguistics. It's by Kristen Lems, Leah D. Miller, and Tamina Soro. And um, yeah, so very, uh, I've just, just kind of in the first few pages of it, but uh it was there's there's a person I follow on Twitter, Dr. Katie Topple, and um, I was listening to um, a session of hers through one of the PSYOP conferences, and yeah, she's and she's right. It's really interesting. So just looking at that kind of kind of that that literacy piece and what to do with that. Now I have another book to add to my cart already. Thank you, Stephanie. That's super helpful. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, the website, the EAL Toolkit. How did it come about? What are some, you know, things that you want users to know? Well, it might be a, it might be a good place too, to sort of start with this shift because uh, in making the changes to the to the website, we've gone from the English as a second language website to the English as an additional language website, archived, but accessible to the old material, previous material. But mm -hmm. take us on the journey and 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 lean in. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Steph. Okay. Uh, so just... Uh the the i think it was about 2017 that um the ERLC initially they got a grant um and they they worked to put together uh the website that was called supporting english language learners and it was a great resource um lots of information on how to do benchmarking which is kind of a an essential piece to monitoring language um development and how to program for a uh, language. And so it's, it's been there for, yeah, so six years or so. And, uh, but as you know, as many listeners are probably aware that uh, the Alberta, Alberta education, they came out 
with uh, and finalized this year in September, they finalized the English as an additional language proficiency benchmarks. So prior from 2010 up until now, um, they were the Alberta K-12 ESL uh, proficiency benchmarks. And, um, you know, listen to some feedback, trying to think about, um, you know, the changes and the shifts in, in research and the language and that, and, you know, and trying to make a tool a little bit more accessible for teachers as well in terms of benchmarking. They also went to look at changing from moving from ESL, English as a second language, to English as an additional language. And the the reason for the shift is mostly because thinking about English, now English isn't everybody's second language. It may be their third, there may be their fourth. So, you know, sometimes there was kind of that thinking that English is the be all and end all. And, you know, it is our official language of Canada and one of the official languages. And we need to acknowledge that. But we also need to honor the, the languages that our students are coming with. And, you know, the, the rich linguistic repertoire that they're, that they, they come as soon as they cross the thresholds of our schools. So we, um, so in that thinking that, okay, we have, um, we're shifting from ESL to EAL. Um, and also just thinking about teacher, we're, we're, Alberta is growing and we're becoming more and more diverse, I think probably about 20, 25% of our population uh, speaks other languages at home other than English, uh, just according to Statistics Canada census data. Uh, so we're growing, we're becoming more and more diverse. So teachers are, and the, the teachers are looking for resources of how to best support their, their students because they realize that language is the 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 conduit for for learning right so that's the only way that we can can impart our curriculum is through language so how can we make that language accessible for all learners and um so with that then i was thinking okay we've we've got a lot more research that we can um you know weave in for teachers that if there's a touch point that they're trying to learn what's a little routine that I can build in my classroom practice that, you know, will help students. So that was kind of the, the groundwork for, for, for the change. And, um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a mad bookmarker on my, <laughs> on my, internet, <laughs> my web browser. So I had already a lot of things saved and, um, just through, uh, working with teachers in other roles that I've had uh, just through my own personal curiosity and where's this where can this take me um, so I kind of grouped it according to um, you know the different things the different the different aspects that we use to support our teachers our students and our families in schools so I group them according to, you know, those first steps of welcoming uh, students and families into schools. Um, what does intake look like? Um, even, you know, some more background, building that background on understanding what 
the process of language acquisition is, looking at culturally responsive practices, how to plan for that language development, and what kind of um, you know routines can you build in through building background knowledge, visuals, vocabulary, you know, even looking at reading and writing, and you know, and with a a larger influx of of refugee students coming in that are, um, or even students that are just, they haven't had exposure to English from where they are. And given the circumstances, their families move here. Um, what can we do to support those students that are like brand new to English that are just learning? And, you know, and technology is just growing by leaps and bounds. What kind of tools are there to support? And even looking at assessment, not only just that benchmarking for language development, but also classroom assessments, and also looking at those multi-tiered systems of support. So, so what can we do if our student isn't progressing in that language? And what could be some reasons behind that? Yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell uh, what you can find on that website. I love that you've got at the beginning some questions, right? Because sometimes that's the easiest way to funnel our, our thinking is, you know, what, you know, what brings you here? Are you doing this or this or this or this? I really like that it's got that piece. And um, as I was doing some exploring as part of a conversation that you and I had about um, supporting our EAL learners in response or in connection with morphology work, um, that the volume of resources and information that are on this site is off the charts, right? Um, it's just a lot. And, and that's, lo that's awesome. But we also have to give folks permission, I think, to take nibbly bits, just exactly. consume as much as you need to, um, but know that there is more on this website than you could ever possibly imagine. Um, and if this is something that's like, say, in your professional growth plan this year, that you're wanting to build skills supporting EAL learners, like this a, a day with this website <laughs> needs to be on your strategies list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't even know if it's a day more like multiple okay, days. What what uh, tiny habits can I build that would take me back to this website on a regular basis? And then how do I attack sort of the chunks? You know, mm -hmm. um, there's for example, let's let's just talk about assuming competence coming in. Um, because they have a, a language, the the barrier is the language for us recognizing that competence. Uh, I think, mm -hmm. you know, identifying there's this, 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 and this in the site. Take a take a peek, take a listen, take watch this. Um, maybe just speak to how you would invite people to attack it, and maybe that's one example you could lean on, but um. Yeah. As I mentioned, the link is in the notes on the podcast and it is on the blog post and uh, we'll, we'll have all that available for our listeners. So uh, if you were to say, hey, you know, if you go to this part and then take a look, where would you invite people kind of new to thinking about it this way? And Alberta is not unlike um, many places in English speaking uh, countries or other countries for that matter, we're, we're getting a change in our demographics. We still have 
some small rural communities that are fairly homogenous, but there too, um, it's changing. Uh, you, you bring in a bit of industry and you bring in some people to support that industry and suddenly you have a community like Brooks, not suddenly, but you have a community like Brooks with a high school that is growing and I believe they have over 40 languages in that school. We back up 20 years or 25 years ago, that was not the case. Certainly 45 years ago, no, not at all. So it's people have to change. What do you think, Stephanie? Where, where would you like to focus? Well, I think there there's a couple of areas. So um, first is is that how can we honor the student the languages that the students are bringing uh, with them? So how how can they, you know, not only see that their their language is is valued and respected in the learning um, and in the reading, but how how can we highlight that and bring that into the background background knowledge um, and and building that that community in the classroom? So um, oh, you know when when I think if you if you've traveled, you know you're you're looking for lots of visual supports, right, to help you navigate where to buy a coffee, how to get to the train station, um, you know where to find where to find the washrooms, right? So you're you're looking and you're relying on a lot of nonverbal, um, a lot of nonverbal things. Um, so if if it's possible to set up a classroom where teacher or where students can can look to things to make sense of what are the what are the procedures of the classroom what are the like the routines of the classroom what are um you know pertaining to the concept that you're covering um what are some visuals that can help in that physical space to to help navigate uh, what's what's going on um, you know there's uh, Katie Arnett in her book Access for Success um, she talks about um, the the language environment and the language environment being you know a physical and a cognitive space so a f the physical space is that kind of two sections of it it's a natural environment where you know you kind of navigate your your day-to-day -day existence and uh and an instructed space and an instructed environment so because we need some of that explicit teaching to to understand like what's what's happening right so to pick out the words that are that you need to focus on because if you think about and you know rick you you experienced Japanese and learning for that and if you're listening for something it it sounds like one big word because it just like flows from one from one end to the other and um, you know I'm trying to learn French and I was so excited when like the focus of the day the word was Karska, I think, if I'm saying that right, because, <laughs> yeah, and because. I was so excited when I heard it. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so if, if teachers take the time to think about what are some key vocabulary as well, um, and writing them up on the board so that students know when to t attend to them, 
um, having a visual of what that word may mean um, or having students translate it into their home language so that they have that hook, right? Because um, you're constantly, the brain is constantly trying to find those connections like that, that hippocampus, that working memory is constantly trying to um, make those make those connections for learning, right? So that's that's our, our little Wikipedia page, right? So we're trying to, so if we can get some of those vocabulary words that are kind of the key things um, for our students to know in a lesson, then, you know, and that they can hook it onto their home language, hook it onto a visual, and then that they see it, they hear it, they speak it, and, that they use it in all different strands of language, then it slowly becomes part of them. So that's part of that physical space and the instructive space. So like that natural and, and instructed environment. But then also thinking about like, what are kids supposed to do with the language, right? So, you know, thinking about, you know, that are they, they're talking about, I don't know, bio 20 blood science or something like that, you know, erythrocytes and, whatever you start with the big words erythrocytes I know I know I just I was I was in a high school class the other day so but um but thinking about okay so what am I supposed to where's that what am I supposed to do with this word right so am I supposed to you know just look at it am I supposed to just what am I supposed to do with it so thinking about how like that that whole cognitive function of what people are what what we do with language and you know really thinking about um you know those those higher level thinks um thinking skills like are are my comparing am i analyzing am i defining and what am i doing with the language so uh thinking about those pieces as well so yeah but really welcoming those and those languages into the classroom? How can students see those languages in, um, and themselves in the school? Um, one of the things that, you know, I highlight on the website and one of the things that I've done at schools that I've been to is um, have a language of the month. And um, so highlighting those, you know, the languages that are spoken by the students in the school and seeing that, you know, these languages are spoken by so many people. These celebrities speak them. Uh, here's a couple of uh, phrases, how to count to 10 in Tagalog, for example, how to say hello, how to say goodbye, please, thank you, sorry. Um, all of those. There's so much to do, and that's why there's so it, much on the website. <laughs> so. To get that introduction, it, you, you took me right back there. You know, people, um, when, when they don't understand what you're saying, uh, you repeat yourself slower and louder. The louder part's not so necessary. The slower part, like, like yeah. that, I, I'm not kidding. No, the I know. First, the very first phrase we were taught uh, way back in uh, 78, before I, I even got to Japan, was you, uh, Mimi ga osoi no de, yukuri de hanashite kudasai, which is translated to, because my ears are slow, please speak slowly. <laughs> that's a literal that's a literal translation right mm -hmm. and and you're right 
once your ears come up to a speed in any language, then you can separate, oh, there's a space between those letters and those yeah. letters. And there's another space there and another space there. And that's actually a sentence. Mm -hmm. That didn't sound like a sentence the first time I heard it. Mm -hmm. and, and so then you have a fighting chance to start picking out words, building vocabulary and going. The, the big piece of this is... Um, is that whole concept of being welcoming. And someone might say, well, that's a lot of work to do for one student. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you can't value the one, you you value none. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so inviting ourselves to make the whole class the whole class, all the students see that. And... And they each have their own challenges. It might not be language. It also might be that they're English speaking, but still don't fully understand how English works. Mm -hmm. You know, so. so but also developing, that. developing that classroom community, right? So that, you know, everyone feels welcome and everyone feels accepted, right? And that's not only a, a great asset for the teacher that, you know, that you may have, you may have one English as an additional language student who's just brand new to English, but you also have 29 students who can support that student in their English language development. So, so intentionally planning for language, um, you know, so that there's lots of interaction so that they can get to know the student better, uh, all those pieces. Um, yeah. I, I feel it, it's a, it's a pet peeve perhaps. Learning how to say a person's name properly is yeah. actually more important than I think people think. It's, you know, um, colonizing their name mm -hmm. or nationalizing their name uh, isn't isn't the way to go. And and that's just a simple piece that's foundational to being inclusive. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and saying to your students, your English speaking students, to all students, hey, if there's a name tag and the name is on there when you're at the store, at the restaurant, at wherever, say the name. Yeah. And you know, what 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 if I don't pronounce it right? They'll likely correct you, but they'll correct you with a smile because you tried. Yeah, exactly. And if you get it right, they'll beat you to the punch with the smile. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting somewhere. Now you're you're seeing them, mm -hmm. and and that's the same thing for us in in class. Um, yeah, why why is the importance of all of us assuming competence when coming into contact with someone who doesn't speak the language that we speak that we happen to speak? Well. Because they're they they don't may not speak English, um, but they do speak ha, have other languages that they they come with, and um, you know just because they don't speak the language of English speaking schools doesn't mean that they don't know concepts about science or social studies, mathematics, whatever. So they they still you know understand. Um, lots of different things they just you know they just can't language it in English yet so um so providing some of those those ideas and and you know uh 
Jeff Tweers, he's a, he's a really interesting researcher. Um, he's done a lot of work and talks about, talks at one piece, a point about academic capital and right. So, so, you know, we have the language of education and, you know, students are coming and say a student that's, um, you know, 13, 14 years old, and they've been in Canada, they've born in Canada, raised in Canada, they've gone through the school system for, um, you know, nine, probably nine, 10 years by that time. And um, so they've come up in just through their exposure, um, become familiar with academic discourse patterns for English and things like that. So, um, and, you know, the way that we think in our more individualistic sort of stream stream of of thinking just the way that our our culture is more based um that they just come you know they've come with that but then when students are are you know set in that environment so a student comes from wherever uh and and then lands in a grade nine grade 10 classroom They've also had 10 years of school, Dep depending. I mean, there are situations of interrupted schooling and, and where they've also gone through great, great other experiences that probably also led to education as well. So, but not in the same patterns that we have in our structure right now. But, um, but they, they may even have a broader linguistic repertoire than our students who speak just English, right? So they may, you know, if you put all the languages that they have together, they probably know more, they could know more, right? So, so coming with that asset-based thinking um, and thinking about, you know, this, again, the stories that they bring, right? Um, I don't know, I, one book that I brought out was, uh, was was Holmes. Have you heard of Holmes? Um, it was written here uh, by a teacher here and uh, she co-wrote it um, with uh, Winnie, Winnie Young and uh, Abu Bakr al-Rabi. Um, pardon me on the, on the uh, pronunciation here, but um, he came from Syria and he um, was given the assignment of tell me a story of, you know, how you came here. And so he went to Winnie and they wrote this book, which was on the CBC, CBC Reads playlist. It was up um, for a number of awards and uh, I would highly recommend Holmes, uh, a refugee story, just uh, thinking about, you know, asset-based thinking and, uh, the, the incredible journeys that our students come through uh, just to just to get here <laughs> whether it's uh, you know whether it's either just packing up all your toys and going on a on a plane ride or you know or it's or it's this right so yeah the, that entire layer of how and why you've ended up where you are uh, what you left behind, mm -hmm. what your journey was, the, the you know, there's 
there's immigrant natural immigration there's refugee immigration there there's lots of different ways and each of those ways creates a different piece mm-hmm. that may or may not re- require uh additional care um because mm-hmm. you you're dealing with um trauma impacted students on top of language layered impacts mm-hmm. and uh, the more you're aware of that the better that's that's definitely one added to my my reading list and i think we all have experiences of of that and the challenge for us in a classroom whether it's a classroom that's now got 25 students where before we had 23 or 37 where before we had 35 it's not their fault what it, uh, these new students whatever that changes in the class number that's just the change in the class number now we need to deal with them all as if uh as they all truly are, uh, your students in front of you trying to get a year's learning in this year. Mm-hmm. And maybe all of us have a little extra level of compassion for uh, lost learning or learning gaps, words that we sometimes bristle about now, but in this post-COVID world, we've seen the impact of being away from school as we know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it was kind of it impacted everybody uh, mm-hmm. to varying degrees, but it impacted everybody. And then you add on top of that. Now here's these others coming in, learning a new language, traveling, having maybe gone through war or economic crisis, whatever caused them to say, "I need to get somewhere where it's better," mm-hmm. and to see it as an addition, not mm-hmm. a subtraction. To see it as a multiplying factor for learning, not not a zero in the equation. Uh, I think that's critical to the success of of all of this. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that a lot of um, the strategies that you're going to come across that are suggested for any language learner um, translates really well in supporting all language development. So it's not like you're doing this as a one-off, but that visual that you've just added to the vocabulary word that you're exploring is going to be super helpful for a lot of other kiddos in your space. And so lots of times what some might consider, you know, that additional time-consuming supports to develop or, or include, um, really is just best practice for everyone, whether you have a language learner in your classroom or not, right? Like I I feel, right? Like every teacher at every grade should be including visuals to support and reinforce concepts. And anyways, we could talk about that at at length. (laughs) You'd mentioned Holmes, a refugee story. What are some other texts that you find you, you come back to or you recommend either when working with teachers or that you find that you use with students um, to and, and or launch and or parents. Yeah. To launch mm-hmm. into some of these conversations. What do you got yeah. for us? Um, well, there's, there's a few, I mean, like my, my background is more secondary. So I tend to go with some secondary books, but um, uh, there's also the, the winner of um, the Giller prize, how to pronounce knife um by Suzanne Kam Tamavangosa uh Tamavangsa uh, and uh and again uh just an incredible story about um 
being in a new land, uh, the stories, and um, that's a series of short, short stories that are in here, and it's uh, just a, a lovely read. Uh, they're nice and short, um, and something that, you know, a, to a degree, there's somewhat universal stories, so that, um, you know, just in terms of um, learning the new language and um, even the relationships between children who are now in the school system and then, you know, conversing and working um, and living with their parents who, you know, maybe their language isn't developing as quickly or because of the circumstances that they're in, right? So, um, yeah, so um, that's a lovely, lovely story. Um, there's, I love, I love identity identity books and um so there's um uh another one here that's actually canadian canadian true fiction or true and true what do you call it <laughs> then life ex but, life experience life experience. on fiction yeah yeah um and uh it's called journey of the midnight sun by shazia afsal and it's the story of um uh, there was a, a need for a new mosque up in Inuvik and um, and they just how a community down I believe it was in Manitoba um, and how they worked and the community came together built a mosque and how this journey of this mosque being brought up to Inuvik um, so yeah so it's based on a real real life story so journey journey of the sun um, and just the excitement of it all and, you know, how it had to be built and how it had to get up, um, up through before, you know, the ice started setting and things like that. So it's a lovely, lovely book there. And um, the other one is um, like, yeah, these are just kids books, but I also think they're great for, you know, <laughs> I think I've heard you said, Charlie, that, you know, um, you know, kids books are great books for all ages, right? So um, the Arabic quilt uh, is an immigrant story by Aya Khalil. And um, it's just talking about, uh, you know, wanting to bring something for show and tell. The student um, is, you know, he's not really being welcomed into the class community yet. And, um, and then she writes a little story about uh, the quilt that she, uh, that her grandmother uh, made for Tita. And, uh, and then she brings it into show and tell and how it just kind of um, morphs and how it brings in language, how students are starting to, you know, learn about uh, Arabic words that we use in, in our day-to-day -day lives, like algebra and coffee and things like that. And, uh, and then just how, how they come to the class comes to build their own quilt and how, um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, being, being welcomed into the classroom as well. So um, not just on the sidelines. So, yeah. So those are, yeah. And the, you know, reading whatever to your, to your children is, is just, uh, 
is is just a wonderful practice and and it doesn't even just have to be reading it could be um you know talking about um what you learned at school what what were some of the topics you talked about at school and you know even just um having those conversations about oh yeah like you know you know that's that's similar to what i did or what i learned when i grew up or um oh that's a little bit different than them how we did it or something and then just having those conversations because oral language is is huge and having those those conversations just so that students language is still kept alive at home um I think is is a vital piece as well so yeah one of the I, things that came up in conversation with you Stephanie that I loved was the encouraging of kiddos to go home and ask you know, what is this particular word mm -hmm. in their home language? Because as, as you had said um, in our conversation that that academic language doesn't come up at the dinner table. No. And so when you start to not have what we would call tier two and tier three vocabulary in your home language, you really are limited in the kinds of conversations and the kinds of even reading that you can do, um, which we know, right? That's why tier two and tier three languages in the curriculum, because we want to expose kiddos to all of this kind of richness in vocabulary. Um, mm -hmm. So inviting students um, to find out what it means in the home language and then sharing what it means, like how we say it in our home language. And I, and I think when we can build those back and forth pathways between home and school, that's when we're honoring mm -hmm. all the parts. And that, that reminds me of, um, a Katie Topple, a Katie Topple tip. Um, if you're on Twitter, follow Katie Topple. Um, she, she, you know how sometimes like, especially in the early grades, you send home like an alphabet chart and then fill in like, okay, what's A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, so uh, she said, fill out whatever comes for A. Like, it doesn't have to be English. It could be Apfel, right? So in German, Apple is Apfel. And it could be whatever. I also on the website, I have um, El Elmo and, uh, and I can't remember his name, but they, they talk about the letter O, and uh, he's a Spanish speaker and he says, my word for O is orgulloso and it means proud. And so, you know, write that word in and then the teacher can like, okay, so we're going to talk about the letter A today and then pulling in all of those words that all from all languages that the students bring, um, you know, and like, can you just, I can, I could feel the pride. <laughs> so the orgulloso of, uh, of when students see all those, um, those words come up. Right. So, yeah. Which brings a value, right? A, a shared value to it. And, and as they go home and ask, what does this word in our language and have that conversation at home, there's also the reciprocal learning taking place where the English words are coming into the home. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, there is, there, there is not a negative. There's not a negative to having multiple languages in your repertoire. So there's a positive. So, there, it, <laughs> is, it is always, I could say it that way too. It is always a positive <laughs> to have more than one language. Yeah. And to uh, even if it's just in the base greetings and things of that nature, 
but uh, mm -hmm. it 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 has a way of building um, understanding. I don't like the word tolerance mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I don't want to be tolerated. I recognize that on many occasions Charlie might tolerate me, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, with love, you know, I tolerate I, you with love, Rick. Rick. Totally. I get that. And it's an interesting conversation to have, but we're, you know, it's not about that. It's about embracing. It's about being part mm -hmm. like the quilt is a marvelous metaphor. All aspects of the quilt, keep all parts of your body warm uh, mm -hmm. and, and play a role in it, particularly in uh, a cold basement room or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And so the more all of our students, literally all, you know, it's a, it's a word that, that some nations have had trouble with. You know that all men are created equal. Ah, are you are you following that? You know, and well, and here we're trying to embrace that. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you look at human universals too, right? Then like we all have food, and the way that we you know prepare food, share food, like we just are coming out of Thanksgiving, we come together at the table, um, you know. We pretty mm -hmm. much that's that's universal. Um, we all have, you know, religion uh, or, you know, those values and morals that we we, we work with and, um, you know, and yeah, how we honor family. It's all there. Right. So um, it just depending on where you're from, it just may look a little bit different, but we still we still share yes. all those human universals. And in every single conflict in the history of this world, someone's son or daughter dies. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it was someone's son or daughter. This last mm -hmm. weekend, that was brought home to us again. Mm -hmm. uh, for our listeners, we're listening in Canada. We're recording this in Canada where we had Thanksgiving this um, second weekend of October. Uh, American Thanksgiving is not till November, but other nations have days where they recognize uh, uh, gratitude for the blessings that they have. And, and that's the piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it, it truly is everyone. And, and the more we can help everyone with language so that where they are, they can communicate where they are, they can read and they are valued for the language they bring to the classroom, which is why it's important to have these, books like you have just uh, shared with us yeah. uh, today uh, you know the Arabic quilt and and others so many others and to have those in our classroom so that I can pick that up and read that and learn more about it yeah um, and and also just seeing seeing themselves in a positive light right you know we always talk about um, mirrors windows sliding glass doors things like that but also seeing them as as a positive. So for me personally, um, you know, I grew up in a German speaking household. Um, you know, my, my father, um, he was a German soldier. He fought in the second world war. Um, and then when I share that with people, then they automatically assume that he was a Nazi, but he, you know, some of those, those, those things just kind of get overshadowed, but he was just a 17 year old boy fighting for his country. Right. So, and, you know, he went through a huge ordeal. He, he was 
captured in 1944 uh, by by the Russians and released in 1947. And, you know, so just all Mm -hmm. of those those stories that come out. So me being a teenager and looking for books to read, um, it was hard for me because all the stories were and, and, uh, you know, Anne Frank, I, I, I acknowledge that that was a difficult time for her, but all the stories about Germans are bad, right? And even growing up, like, if you're a bad guy, you have a German accent, if you, <laughs> you know, so, so thinking about some of those, those things, like, how can we bring those positive lights into, um, you know, those positive aspects of our students and the, the, the rich, wonderful stories that they bring, right? So well, and it makes yeah. me think of, you know, not every Indigenous story needs to be about trauma. Like there is a thing like called Indigenous joy, and we can just yeah. enjoy texts yeah. that have Indigenous characters where bad exactly. things don't happen to them. Like that's exactly. okay, right? Yeah. As you were talking about including languages, um, I was reminded about the Toronto Symphony Orchestra's project called Canada Mosaic. And they used data from Statistics Canada and um, recorded the 12 most commonly spoken languages nationwide in our national anthem. And so if you're a school that happens to play the national anthem each morning, because some schools do that still, um, you could play it in Punjabi or Italian or Arabic or Tagalog, um, Cree. So it's really cool. Um, we did this at the school I was formerly at because I was forced to listen to O Canada in like the country Western version. And there was one with like, um, I called it like the Cinderella version. I don't know what was going on, but there was like twinkling noises in the background. It was obnoxious. Anyway, um, so if we're going to, you know, use our power, let's use our power for good. And so we started listening to these this. And the first time that we had O Canada in Tagalog, I had students that that's what they spoke at home they were just like they had never heard o canada in their home language before and they were so excited to recognize it mm-hmm. and then say that like that's my language i mm-hmm. i know what they're saying yeah. and it exposed the other students to the diversity that is our country like we're not just all english speaking you know and so i think there's easy ways that we can honor that and you know you talked about having a language of the month with the power of QR codes, you could have, you know, scan this and learn how to say hello, scan this and learn how to, yeah, there'd just be some really cool things. But that even, you can... yeah, and using the language experts that you have in your school to build those QR codes, right? So yeah. they know they know how to say hello in Tagalog or Hindi or whatever it may be, right? So um, yeah build that into it and um even you know i've i've heard of um practices where students um like you know there's multiple languages that are spoken in the school so you know monday's parts of the announcements that are shared out are said in tagalog and the next day maybe in hindi and the next day in spanish and and yeah so why not (laughs) why not indeed (laughs) but I mean but the other piece is is like showing that those languages are welcome in the school because you know students they may feel a little bit reserved at first by because you know that I'm I'm just supposed to be speaking English so 
Um, I follow someone on Twitter. I don't know who it was, and I'm, I'm sure they're not the only one to do this, but um, it was a school in the Lower Mainland where there's a lot of languages that are spoken at home. And so they have, right when you walk in with vinyl letters on the wall, you know, welcome, bienvenue, whatever it is. But then every year that they get another student that has a different home language, they make sure they contact home find out how to say welcome in the home language and ensure that it's on the welcome languages wall wow. for that, for that student and that family to feel welcomed beautiful. when they come. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So any other suggestions for us um, in terms of um, low hanging fruit? for a school, a class, a community to, to kind of grab on and say, hey, this is a great safe entry point um, mm -hmm. just to get you started. I, I know we've, we've got the website for, for people to share and, and work from, and you've shared some other resources. But for the classroom teacher, what's the low-hanging fruit for any of us who are listening just in, in terms of looking at our own community and saying, okay, what could I do tomorrow that would be a start? Yeah, um, definitely. I, I mean, we've we've touched just in, in just to go back a little bit, but I mean, we've talked about visuals and we've talked about welcoming the languages that are that your students are speaking. Um, but I'd also just incorporate sentence stems. Um, sentence mm -hmm. stems are a great entry point for students um, to to just share and start to practice that language and the language patterns. Um, so because, you know, we don't want students just speaking in one word utterances, right? So we want to show them like how to share a complete thought. And this really impacted me too when, because um, I mentioned before, I'm trying to learn French. And then, so I was taking a beginner French class and, um, you know, took a few couple weeks in or whatever and I thought oh I've got Je m'appelle Stephanie down I can take this uh this workshop that's uh, a two-day workshop on improving your French speaking skills and I'm like no problem at all <laughs> and so you know just go in head first and um then uh, when I got there I'm like uh oh like what did I sign up for here? Because <laughs> everybody had high school French or university French or, or whatever it was. And, um, but the, the facilitator was incredible. Like she used, she let me use my home language to make sense of what the task was, what we were supposed to do. She gave word banks of, you know, so we were sharing about our family. And so I had a word bank for, husband, father, mother, sons, daughters, whatever it may be. Um, and then she gave me a sentence frame so that I could, you know, fill in the blanks and, you know, with my word bank and then share out what, uh, what my, what my family was and then had me practice it with people in the classroom right so you know whether it's an inside outside circle or conga line or whatever so but I'm talking because it's not going I'm not going to learn what it sounds like what it um, you know how to pronounce it get my tongue around those 
those words if I'm not using it orally. Because if I'm just reading it, I could make up any pronunciation that I want to, but I'm not going to be able to fine tune it if, if I'm not speaking it. So yeah, so that was an amazing experience because by the end I was making book recommendations, I was justifying films, I was it just through the power of a word bank and sentence frames. So and throw a visual in there too. You know, it's it's amazing. The, the word word bank sentence strings illustrations, but also opportunity to say it out loud. And say it out loud. And, and so that right there again speaks to sitting down and having opportunities to read out loud. Yeah. To, I was thinking the same thing, Rick. You know, in the classroom and, yeah. and read back and forth. But with a safe group, like not yes. that it's like that oh. popcorn reading or anything like that. No, 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 but, no. You know, like <laughs> we've had, <laughs> I know you've had lots of discussions about that, but. But just um, just to reiterate, like not putting that student on the spot, but that they're in their safe, small group and that they have a chance to practice it before they share it out, you know, big. Yeah. But it's it, funny it because be I was. Buddy... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> buddy reading. Um, I was talking, we were doing something with my son and he, I read something. He's like, oh, that's how you say that word. I've seen that word before, but I wasn't sure how to say that word. And so, um, you know, he is not an additional language learner. He is simply a lear language learner. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they too need to know where the emphasis on the syllable is so that they <laughs> yeah. can get it right in the great scheme of things. Exactly. Um, and I mean, it goes, goes back to how to pronounce knife. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so we don't pronounce it knife? Knife, but do you know why the K is there? Morphology. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Trying to get some morphology in there. That's perfect. You know, I, I was sitting down with the um, the whole phonemic awareness. I've I've learned. I'm high school teacher, junior grade nine, slow as I went, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So the whole uh, phonics and phonemic awareness piece, not something that I have ever taught, or I don't even remember ever being taught. Uh, and so I had an opportunity to visit with a bunch of teachers who, who were just starting their journey with the new English curriculum. And I started them with this, which for our viewers, well, our listeners, it's a chart that has all of the sounds of the Japanese language on it. And uh, I said, you know, let's just let's learn Japanese in this next 15 minutes and kind of set them on kind of the feeling of what it's like to a feeling they haven't had for a long time to suddenly be learning a new language. But there's only five vowel, vowel sounds in Japanese and then kind of go from there. And uh, so very quickly, we got them to where they could say uh, a few words and say them correctly. Mm -hmm. It's it's like that, It's but it, it, it had to be safe. You, you have to provide that opportunity. And it's it's so much to have somebody come in in grade 10 and grade six and grade five, they've had their life here and now they're here and here, you need to learn this new language to function. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you've emphasized a couple of times, 
us as teachers, we, we need and and everybody employers uh, to begin with and assuming they can do this. Mm-hmm. They've already learned their own language. Mm-hmm. They just need to learn how to kind of transpose and and bring an additional one in. And maybe, as you said, Stephanie, in in many instances, they've learned more than one other language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, and they, you use that language to build on your English. So, so yeah, you just, and you're just gonna, that's the foundation. Your language is the foundation for adding English onto it. So, so we're going to wrap up today with a, a, maybe a heartfelt question. I'm not sure. Depends where we go. I'm sure if I was asked this question, I would leak emotions out of my eyeballs, but you don't have to. Um, So, so who or what has been your inspiration into sharing what you know and supporting teachers to support students um, in language learning and literacy? Where did this all come from? Um, I think a lot from my parents. So um, just, you know, (laughs) They came in 1959 from Germany and um, they had some, some English or whatever, but um, yeah, you're right. Leaking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) But um, so like, it was quite a journey to get there, to get here. And so, cause it was two weeks on a boat and then a week on a train and my dad came first and he was here for six months. And then my mom came with my sisters and my brother. And my one sister was only six weeks old when she came on the boat. So it was my mom on her own. And, but then they, they moved to Marwain. Um, they got onto a farm in Marwain. And um, it was the farm women community that that welcomed her and brought her in. And, you know, like they tell one story, my mom tells one story when they, you know, they were all together. I think her sister and her sister's husband eventually came um, after a a little while and um, they were celebrating and they got this bottle of wine and um, they, they read the label and it said, chill before serving. And they're like, chill, what does that mean? chill sounds like shouldn't in german and shouldn't so they they start shaking the wine (laughs) and they think because shouldn't is shake and they like these canadians like what do they do with their wine (laughs) like why (laughs) but um you know so go to the dictionary and find out that yeah chill chill and um but (laughs) but it it wasn't champagne no I know but um but it was the community that that supported um supported my my family from you know making a life here and and I think when I think of that like I think it's community that that brings us all together right so and um you know creating those communities in the classroom so that everybody feels safe and they're not being judged by the base basis of 
where they come from, the language that they speak, or whatever they believe, so um, that we all kind of get to know one another. So, yeah, I'd say my parents. That's that awesome. Is, that is beautiful and courageously shared. And a reminder to all of us, like you mentioned earlier, just because my dad was a German doesn't mean he was. And today, just because my neighbor is Palestinian doesn't mean he or she exactly. is. And, and and this Ukrainian and this, like, no, don't don't get caught up in sweeping generalities. And, and look what the community learned and what uh, your brothers and sisters and yourself and then your children and and, and so on. Uh, that's how I got to have a good conversation with Stephanie the first time. It said, ask me about my children on her name tag. Uh, <laughs> Charlie, thanks for that activity. Right? But, but that's that's the whole... That's the whole piece of it, language and community, community and language. And the more we can embrace um, all of those, the less walls and barriers that are between us, the less misunderstandings and, and the greater understanding. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, the idea that your dad would fought as a 17-year-old was captured and I saw Charlie's eyes go up. He wasn't released until 47, I think you said. Mm -hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, we can all do math. That's a couple of years after the war before he was released. And mm -hmm. somehow he managed to get to the west side before the Berlin Wall dropped uh, down because he would have been probably on the east side unless he, well, he certainly was when he was released mm -hmm. and had to get over to, mm -hmm. to the other side. And then, like you say, the journey. And all that journey is happening with lots of different people Exactly. Uh, in today's modern world, too, some of the titles shared today. Um, we've had a book about Syrian refugees shared with us uh, a couple of podcasts ago. Mm -hmm. Us reading about the lives of others builds compassion and understanding. So mm -hmm. read. Don't be afraid. Read. And, and learn and listen. And away we can go from there. Thank you so yes. much. Stephanie, you have something else you wanted to say right Well, there? you said the lives of others, and there's a beautiful um, German movie called The Lives of Others, and um, it kind of touches on all the things that we've talked about. <laughs> so... There you go, friends. You've got not only book recommendations out of this podcast, but a movie. But also a good movie, yeah. So. Fantastic. My husband makes fun of me because I watch a lot of subtitled content. Mm. so we're adding this to the list yeah. <laughs> i think it was academy award winner too oh, there we go. <laughs> thank you so much for this time stephanie we appreciate yeah. it and appreciate your work um as we indicated we'll have the website link uh there stephanie does work as a, a designer of professional learning with arpdc uh, and an individual contractor in support of this work um, across the province of Alberta and is certainly open to supporting others outside of the borders of Alberta if your school division would desire to uh, have her present uh, virtually or in person. Uh, we're grateful for her many talents and her dedication particularly to this website that I had the opportunity to dive in and, uh, and review. Uh, we will be back uh, with another episode in the next couple of weeks but uh, we're just grateful to all of you who are teaching 
uh, somewhere in this world and uh, to, our, to the parents and, and students that we have the opportunity to work with. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lovely time. Thank you. Take care, everybody, till we see you again. <laughs>